I think that at the end of the day, in a world where there's a march to the metaverse, starting from the early days of the web to where we are today and constantly pushing the envelope to continual virtualization and continued exploration of what's possible from moving from physical to digital and thinking that your future and your kids are going to be living in a, in a metaverse house because they can't afford a real house and they're going to be wearing, you know, metaverse clothes with metaverse NFT art on the wall and having metaverse friends, you can say, hold up, what are our bodies? What are, you know, what is real? What delivers you happiness? Not to knock a metaverse life, you know, in moderation or something, I don't know, but in the future, we have to defend IRL. There's something magical. Uh, there's truly something magical in in-person connection that is perhaps not replaceable, and why would you? Defending IRL, defending real life. Who knew that's something that would ever have to be defended? And yet, here we are, living in a world that's on a steady march toward increased virtualization and remote connectivity. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I'm not sure what I think really matters. I don't have much say in how it all plays out, but the same isn't true for the guest on this episode of Webmasters. His name is Scott Heiferman, and he's the founder of meetup.com, the website built specifically to help its users leverage the power of virtual connectivity to create in real life communities. Are you ready to hear the story? Let's get dialed in. Welcome to Webmasters, the podcast where you'll learn about entrepreneurship and internet history by listening to stories from the internet's most impactful innovators. I'm your host, Aaron Dinan. I'm a serial entrepreneur, I teach entrepreneurship at Duke University, and I study the history of the internet and World Wide Web. One of the most important aspects of those networking technologies is, of course, that they can help connect anyone anywhere in the world. As a result, they are inherently great at enabling distributed communities. But as we're going to discuss on this episode, maybe that doesn't have to be the only kinds of communities they enable. Rather than making us less reliant on the people we're physically closest to, how can the internet and web help us get more connected with the people in our local communities? We're going to start trying to answer that question in a minute, but first I'm going to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. Webmasters is being developed with support and partnership from Latona's. Latona's is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker that helps people buy and sell cash flow positive internet businesses and digital assets. That includes things like e-commerce stores, Amazon FBAs, Shopify sites, SaaS apps, content networks, domain portfolios, as well as just about any other type of online work from anywhere business you can build and operate on the internet. If you've got a profitable internet business you're thinking of selling, Latona's can help you. Reach out to their team of expert brokers and they're gonna be able to teach you about the process and give you the support and resources you need to get it sold for a great price. And if you're hoping to buy an internet business, Latona's is a great resource too. Their website is filled with listings of internet businesses they're currently helping to sell. That website is, of course, latonas.com. L-A-T-O-N-A-S dot com. 
There's certainly no question that one of the biggest impacts of the internet is its ability to let us easily connect with people anywhere in the world whenever we want. And at its core, meetup.com is a website leveraging that very phenomenon, but it's doing it in a different way. Meetup helps its users connect with people in their local communities. That's important because, let's be honest, most of us don't actually know many of the people we live near. And no matter where digital technologies take us, metaverses and decentralized financial systems and who knows what else, our physical communities aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So it's probably a good thing that we have ways of keeping us better connected to the communities in which we live. At least that's what this episode's guest, Scott Heiferman, believes. He is, of course, the founder of Meetup. He's also someone who, as you might expect, has what we could call a healthy suspicion about some of the rhetoric around the digital age and its seeming progression toward virtual worlds. To help us understand where some of the skepticism comes from, let's start by learning more about where Scott comes from. I was born in the early 70s, so I'm an old man. You know, I was coming up as computers were coming up. Thanks to my brother Jay, I had, uh, you know, I had like a little Timex Sinclair 1000 computer. My mom uh, couldn't afford it, but she, she, she swung it where I got an Apple IIc, uh, and then my brother Jay bought this Macintosh, and I just lived on this uh, you know, 1984 Mac back in the day and was goofing around. I went to like computer programming camp in Lake Forest College in Illinois, where I grew up, and that was like assembly language bordering on advanced stuff. I quickly realized I didn't have the talent to be a great engineer, but I was interested in all that stuff. So if you were born in the 70s, I'm guessing that means you were in college right around the time the internet is really starting to enter public consciousness via the web. So when did you first encounter the web? You know, I had that seminal experience of being in a um, computer lab in 1993, 94, sitting next to my buddy Ryan Nelson at the University of Iowa when he, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, check this out. And it was the Mosaic web browser. And, you know, we're just sort of looking at it curiously. And I have to say, I didn't, I, I didn't have that epiphany of like, oh, my God, this is the Lord incarnate and seeing the future. But just it was interesting enough to sort of like dig in and stay attached to it. But, you know, even backing up, my, my interest growing up before college, before the web, what I was doing with these computers was always just goofing around with any just project that struck me. You know, like it might have been building a database for my parents' paint store. Uh, paint and wallpaper store, you know, they had a little little store, or starting a band or something and as a pre-adolescent and, you know, making flyers and things like that. And, um, you know, just not being interested in games or the computer specifically, but just like what interesting things could I do with it. In college, I was um, really involved in the, the college radio station. It was KRUI. And I, I saw, you know, the web and these other tools as an opportunity to like goof around with audio, collage, art, and things of that sort. Scott's reaction to discovering the web is interesting because it's different from what we've heard from a lot of the guests here on the show. For the most part, people got excited about the web because they saw it as a great way to build and or accomplish new things. That's not what you heard Scott describing. Scott was excited about the web and more broadly digital technologies because of how it helped him better accomplish the things he'd already been doing. This is core to Scott's beliefs about technologies in general. For Scott, technologies aren't meant to change people. Technologies are meant to empower people. My interest is always like in a certain populism and scaling. And frankly, at that period, 
most people weren't really doing anything on the internet. I mean, they may have been doing a search here and there or a MapQuest use here or there. There was no smartphones. There was no sort of engagement in much online community. I mean, you know, here and there you had some things, but it wasn't part of everyday culture, driving culture, let alone like culture that we have today. I was bored by online communities and didn't care all that much. I was, you know, I became really intrigued by blogging at the time and what that, um, how do people feel powerful? If they can publish, they can feel powerful. If they can organize, they can feel powerful. If they can sell something on eBay, they can be powerful. It kind of sounds like you saw the early internet as less of a creative force and more of an enabling force. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It's a source of dignity. It's a source of antidepressant. I tend to like be thinking about today and Web3 and NFTs and all these things. That's great. People can go on that path. But, you know, I'm trying to stay glued to, you know, what are the basic human needs? Larry and Sergey didn't human need for information. It, it, it wasn't like serving tech needs, you know, or Pierre Omidyar with you know, starting eBay. It was like, OK, people want to buy and sell stuff. There tends to be sometimes a lost in the weeds around um, these Internet questions as opposed to like just staying tuned to the struggles that people have. You know, the, you know Bob Dylan's grandmother said everyone's fighting a hard battle. So be kind. Building on that, then, how does this idea that these technologies should be used to empower people lead you toward the idea for Meetup? Because uh, that wasn't your first company, was it? How did you go from college student seeing the web for the first time to tech entrepreneur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So December before graduating college, I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going. I wasn't very stressed or anxious about that. I knew that I was just interested in stuff and I'd figure it out. But, you know, what my classmates were all kind of lining up for like job fairs and going down some path of interviewing at Arthur Anderson and who knows what, which, you know, it's great for them. But I, I was like this old Apple fanboy. I did this thing, which doesn't sound so crazy, but for me and my family, having like sort of been in the Midwest and not venturing out very much, I, I made a, you know, senior in college uh, pilgrimage to the Macworld conference in San Francisco. And this has been 93, 94, December, January. And I saw this uh, presentation about General Magic, which, uh, you know, some people see there's a documentary about General Magic, which was a sort of pre-pre-precursor to today's smartphone. And I went nuts, basically, like hunting down any business cards of anyone related to this thing. And I somehow stumbled on press releases because, again, there was no web or, or anything at this point. I was back in Iowa, just like firing off snail mail letters to anyone saying, I'll sweep the floor or uh, make coffee, do anything to help you. And um as VP at Sony, which was part of the consortium around General Magic, trying to invent this future smartphone thing. He was awesome. Brian was and, and said, yeah, come be, be an intern. Uh, give me a shot. So I drove from Iowa to, I thought it was New York because I looked at the map. Again, there's no, sorry to do the whole grandpa shtick of like, there was no Google Maps or MapQuest. As I'm like practically in the library looking for, uh, it was like in Montvale, New Jersey. And I'm like, that's pretty much New York City. I'm moving in, you know, so this is New York City. It turns out Montvale, New Jersey isn't New York City. I landed there. I stuck around a year. I got really ambitious doing things outside of my charge there. Sorry, one second. What kinds of things were you doing there? What I was doing, at, I, I had sort of set up Sony's first commercial online thing, which was on AOL, which was emerging at the time. And the big question was, how do you drive traffic? to a site on AOL. There was no commercial web, really. And so this is when, you know, Sony made Walkmans. That was the hot thing. 
So I, I sent some Walkmans to the, the guys in the back room at AOL who were in charge of managing the home screen. There was no, you couldn't buy your way onto the home screen. Like there was no online ads at the time. So sending them uh, Walkmans, they, they got Sony onto the uh, home screen of um, AOL that drove traffic. And so that really got me thinking that like in the future, links were going to be valuable. So I quit my job and started um, what was the first online ad agency. We were going to basically figure out how to buy ads in the form of links on other websites on behalf of clients. So, you know, it was just a 22-year-old idiot in New York City, hooked up with a lot of good people. That company really took off. And, and so within, you know, three or four years, we were over 100 people and profitable with big clients. And But here I was thinking like, wait a minute, I have no interest in the ad business or the ad industry. In fact, I hate advertising and I hate the ad business. And I didn't want to be like the kid running around to big companies, waving his hands about the internet and trying to convince old people that this is going to be more important than they think. Meanwhile, the whole internet revolution was zooming forward and I I felt like uh, I didn't want to be stuck in the ad business. Okay, so you basically helped pioneer the online ad industry before launching Meetup. And what was the name of that company, by the way? That was iTraffic. Name name company was iTraffic. And we sold it to a firm called agency.com, which became part of the big conglomerate of, of advertising called Omnicom. Wow. All right. That's an interesting backstory. And how does the online advertising agency lead you eventually toward launching Meetup? Or does it? Are, are the two related in any way? I guess, uh, could you share the Meetup founding story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was 27, 28 and and had gone through this whole adventure and really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life or, you know, what I was really uh, interested in beyond that. I knew it wasn't advertising. It just that felt soulless. And so um, basically just goofed around for a couple of years, knowing that there's these questions around how do you how, how do you make people more powerful? How do you you know, what's the world we want? What's the society we want? Uh, you know, just because you could build something should you build it? And so, you know, I would have like all these thoughts like, oh, I should do this. I should do that. And always holding back and saying, hey, you know, like, does the world really need that? Should that exist? Why, why bother? You know, you call it even a kind of existential funk around like, what's the, what's the point of different things? Fast forward, uh, you know, a year or two and uh, I'm living in New York City, 9-11 happens. And I have this experience where I connected with the neighbors on my roof that I hadn't talk to before. You know, you're in the elevator and you you don't talk to people. And then you're on the roof and these towers are falling and you uh, strike up, you know, conversation and look to each other and lean on each other. It just, you know, got me interested and led me down a path to be thinking about, you know, what is the importance of local community and connection and pushing people out of like comfort zones to connect with people, talk to strangers, to build a more rich, a more dense, a more real sense of community locally. Um, And so I was reading the book Bowling Alone, and this Harvard professor talks about, uh, you know, basically saying like in in an internet connected age, will we we just sort of like devolve into the screen or or is there another path possible? So to me, the challenge emerged. It was a design challenge. It was a systemic challenge of like, how, how can you use the internet to get people off the internet? How could you spark local community? How can you bring people together? So Meetup is a really basic idea, you know, let people form a local gathering about something that's important to them, you know, really trigger that, spark that. 
and and a lot of good things will happen. And how did you ultimately decide to do that? Or rather, I guess we know how you ultimately decided to do that because you built Meetup. But how did you come to the conclusion that Meetup was the way to spark local community using the internet and web? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't framing it as like community. I was framing it as like a really straightforward, very practical, simple question, which is how do you find the people locally that are interested in the same thing and then like push you to meet up with them. So, I mean, if you had a, a, you know, a certain breed of dog or you're going through the certain kind of cancer or you're interested in taking your career in this direction, how do you connect with people, with a group of people in your town? The design challenge was like this very specific, like, okay, if I put a website out there where people can start a local group about something, it'll just die. How do you get a flywheel going? How do you uh, solve a chicken and the egg problem? And so, you know, we kind of concocted a novel way of getting this thing to kick off and it worked. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question, uh, solving the chicken and the egg problem, which is of course one of the hardest problems to solve when launching a new venture that's a two-sided marketplace. So, how'd you solve it? I mean, a message to all kind of entrepreneurs out there is really getting creative on how things spread, how do things get embraced, how do they get adopted is really you know, so, so much to me. Um, and, and I think something that people don't think about enough. In Meetup's case, like I said, if we had just made a website with like start a meetup and find a meetup, it, it wouldn't have lasted the year. There were two main things that we did that were not like tacked on. Sometimes people will build something and, and then they'll say, okay, and then we'll add a, you know, tell your friend about it feature or something. Um, what we knew that was from the ground up, it had to be built to spread. And so the way Meetup worked at the beginning was, we basically said that every topic, treat it like we're Hallmark inventing a holiday. You know, Hallmark invents holidays. They have like International Secretary's Day, International Grandmother's Day. You know what? We're going to take a thousand topics like chihuahuas or breast cancer or uh, single motherhood or something. On the first Tuesday of the month, we're declaring it's International Chihuahua Meetup Day or we are declaring it's International single mom day or something. And it's going to happen every month on, you know, the first Tuesday of the month at seven or the third Friday at the month at six. And so that was really intriguing to those communities to, and, and where those communities were gathered, you know, this is pre Reddit and pre lots of things, you know, there was Usenet groups and to them, it was something special. It was honest. It was authentic. It was authentic. We really did build something so that you can in your town meet up with other folks like you locally. And that was just appealing to people. And that was a revelation to people. But it, it had enough sort of structure to it. You know, it basically said, oh, really? Next Tuesday at six? Great. I'm in Philadelphia. I'm in Paris. I'm in Beijing. I'm in Sao Paulo. Let's let's do this. And the other part was that once people found that like, OK, here's photography meetup day, uh, you know, happening in Cedar Rapids, Iowa on this date, then you vote on where you want to meet up. You don't just say like, sign up. You're A, getting people's attention with this international meetup day, and then you're providing an easy on-ramp to like, have people co-own it, in this case, by voting on where, uh, where they're going to meet, um, which obviously solves the problem of how the hell do we in an office in New York City know where people in Tokyo want to meet to uh, you know, show off their dogs. You know? <laughs> that was key to the spread of meetup initially. We went through massive iterations in the following years to have it work completely different, but it got us off the ground. 
Just to kind of summarize that, it sounds like in the beginning you created all the meetups and the themes of the groups in order to provide the core structure. And then I guess as the platform grew, you got exposed to new audiences, more people saw it, and from there they had their own ideas for creating new meetups. Is that basically how the platform evolved? Yeah, yeah. Over the course of years, we sort of stripped away that scaffolding so that this thriving network of tens of millions of people didn't need that strict structure that was that was actually confining them. And, and it was, you know, like throwing the crutches away. And this still had to be a business, though, right? So what was the business model behind Meetup? We we had some models in mind and the early ones didn't work. And so then there was just a point where coming out of the advertising field, I just was so dead set on not wanting to be in the ad business. And this was a time when, even when Meetup was getting going, 2002, 2003, you had this guy, this wacky guy named Jeff Bezos giving interviews. And Bezos was saying crazy stuff. He was saying, like, we want to be the world's most customer-centric company. And he wanted his business to be one where, as long as we focus on the customer, everything else will fall into place. There was something really liberating about dropping all the you know, convoluted, concocted, like, oh, we're going to sell our data and we're going to run ads and we're going to make people suffer through ads in order to get to what they really want. I mean, I was really kind of concerned that you know, an ad-based economy was going to have externalities and different problems associated, which you know, have played out in the, in the Facebook business model that I wanted to avoid. And so, um, long story short, we were really thriving. Meetup was just going gangbusters and um, activity was just a skyrocketing thing. And we did the most crazy move of going pretty hard just from free to fee. We basically said, in order to use Meetup as an organizer, you got to have a subscription. It was freemium in the sense that the uh, people going to Meetups could go go for free, but the organizer of the Meetup has to pay. And this created mad chaos and havoc. And we like basically killed 90% of our activity on the platform immediately by the switch. You can look back on the press and the communities back in that day, and they said this was like startup suicide. I felt like, you know, if you have a product that's good enough to, for people to pay for, do that. I also felt like, you know, your best investor is your customer. You know, we had only raised a little bit of money. And I was like, what if we're not some, you know, crazy overfunded, super VC backed thing and could be sort of control our own destiny more and be more true to our people who were trying to benefit with this platform. And, you know, pissed a lot of people off, respectful of the idea that some people just couldn't afford the few bucks a month we were charging, but we really, we, we really wanted to stick with that. And with a few years of patience, it paid off. After a few years, we were much, much bigger than we were when we were free and we had a profitable business, self-sustaining. Wow, that's pretty gutsy to just go from free to paid. Why were you more focused on monetizing users rather than doing the more standard tech startup thing of just raising a bunch of money from VCs to fund numbers growth and then, you know, worry about monetizing later? Well, just to be clear, we, you know, we did have some venture investors and we lucked out and they were really incredibly wonderful people like uh, Andreas Stavropoulos at DFJ and Brad Burnham at Union Square Ventures, really respected um, VC. So it wasn't like we were, you know, completely out of the VC picture, but um, uh, no, no, no. It's it's very clear. It's um, if I thought I could use a ton of capital to grow faster, I would have raised all the capital in the world. I felt that we needed just enough cash flow to do what we needed to do, and so if we can essentially 
get the money from customers, we should do that as much as possible. I mean, I, I think just stepping back, you look at the world we're in, not to get too macro or esoteric about it, but there's some serious problems in the world of people feeling powerless and not having power. And the disparity between, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. That's increasing. Uh, and that's a fact. And the concentration of power, whether that's big tech or, or just wealth in general, has a real potential devastating consequences now and in the future even more. So the question of why do you, you know, why is Scott rambling about that as the response to the question of like limiting the amount of VC in the company? Well, I mean, you got to start local in your own backyard and basically say, if you're starting a business, there's a system. The system is venture plugs into Wall Street, Wall Street plugs into a system that exacerbates the lack of empowerment and the killing of a middle class. Listen, you know, I'm going to do by any means necessary to see the mission of Meetup succeed. You know, I'm not putting like principle above this mission, which is we have this incredible opportunity to bring wonderful life-giving, you know, service to people of like the stories we would hear every day of what happens. The best thing in the world is when people meet up, uh, you know, babies are born and businesses are born and bands are born and all these things are happening. So First things first is we just wanted to have as many meetups as possible. But if we can pull that off by not so much contributing to the system of inequality in the world, um, let's do our part. You just heard Scott make some interesting points about the role of venture capital in society and how he saw meetup in relation to that role. You can certainly choose to agree or disagree with Scott's perspective, and I suspect listeners probably have some pretty strong opinions about the topic. But what I want to emphasize here is the, let's call it, meta insight Scott is pointing to, which is the fact that VC is about more than just money. Choosing to accept venture capital for your startup has other implications beyond the number of zeros in your company's bank account. You should be considering those implications if and when you decide to take venture capital in order to make the decision that makes the most sense to you. The other thing I want to make sure we acknowledge when listening to Scott's story is the implications of his decision to suddenly start charging community hosts using the platform rather than continuing with the original model where anyone could create a meetup free of charge. On the surface, the decision might seem like something that would have stunted growth, but as you heard Scott mention, after a bit of public outcry, Meetup grew significantly larger. Keep this in mind if you're one of those entrepreneurs who gets overly excited about user growth for a free product or service. While giving something away for free can certainly lead to lots of users, those users don't have any reason to commit to your product, so they don't have much value. In contrast, when you charge people, they're going to be more engaged users. That's what happened with Meetup. Having people investing in what's important to them, and I'm sorry that I'm broken record, but it all comes back to this theme of people feeling powerful, people being powerful. And there's all kinds of power. I mean, sure, you can post on TikTok, post on Twitter, post on YouTube, and that's a form of like creating media and being powerful as a result, having your voice out there. There's so many other facets to life and what Meetup, what we were doing, uh, we were not a media company. We were not creating content. And, you know, people like to just sort of say, oh, Meetup is like is a, is a social media. Like, no, 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 we're not media. We're real life. It's like the amazing stories of what happens when a group of people come together 
and, you know, lean on each other and look to each other and support each other. Well, it's kind of a lot of what you've been alluding to the entire time and, and I guess your general approach to technology. Uh, technology isn't so much about creating new things. It's about enabling the things people have always been doing, but in new in different ways. As you said earlier, how can the Internet address some of the oldest, most basic human needs? And again, you know, using the Internet to get people off the Internet. Technology is not the enemy. It's just how do you, you know, do you presume that it's made for distributed uh, community or does it or could it sort of enhance? And here we are 20, you know, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of Meetup. You know, it's in a couple of months, 20th anniversary of Meetup. And it's amazing. There's, you know, thousands of Meetups a day and things are happening and it's really great. But it's not nearly, not, not a scratch of what I thought was possible. I mean, the fact that if you wanted to go on a run with a group of other people this afternoon who are like roughly your pace and in your area and want to run, you know, the same distance you want to run and you know they will push you because you're running in a group, you can't press a button and get that running group happening like you can press a button and make a car show up on Uber. So there's a big opportunity to use technology to strengthen local in-person connection. So what's interesting to me about this picture you're painting of how technology can and should be viewed is, is that it's very different from a lot of the current discussions around technology. Uh, things you've already alluded to, like the metaverse and blockchain and NFTs. Uh, in my mind, those are all technologies that are, as you've said, continuing to serve the most basic human needs. But it seems like that's not how they're being presented. Is that your experience, too? Do you ever feel like other entrepreneurs are leaning a bit too heavily on the, you know, this is going to change the world messaging rather than messaging more along the lines of this is going to help make all the things we love about the world even better? Yeah, you know, so there was a point, I forget which year, that uh, there was this guy who had the what was becoming like, you know, one of the biggest Internet companies in the world, you know, and met him in his hotel his name was Mark Zuckerberg, and you're talking for a couple hours about Meetup, and he said, you know, what you're doing is so, like, idealistic and so great, you know, that people will, will meet up with people in real life, but he's like, uh, I just think that the opportunity is kind of limited. I think that, like, you know, there's probably only about 100 million people that will do that, and at the time, we were about 7 million users, and I was like, yes. He thinks we're going to get to 100 million users. <laughs> but what he was really saying was, is that like, this is a pipsqueak nothing opportunity, you know? So like his scale was like, he's only interested in things with uh, a billion, that a billion people will do. And then uh, I was just, in, you know, super excited that he thinks that we're going to get to 100 million users. Now, fast forward a few years, Facebook's first Super Bowl commercial a few years later was Mark sort of saw the light that basically the optics of showing in real life community and in his case like facebook groups meeting in real life was like a really positive optic good thing so that was like the center of their super bowl commercial that was kind of interesting and out of curiosity about how big is meetup today so here, here we are in the end and this includes some of the you know users who didn't do much but about 100 million people signed up thanks to the new owner kevin ryan and the ceo David Siegel, um, it's going strong. It's going strong. And a lot of people say that the hunger and the need for real in-person community is stronger than ever. And Meetup's got a really bright future. 
There you have it. The founder of Meetup, Scott Heiferman, thinks the internet hasn't destroyed the need for real in-person communities. It's actually done just the opposite. In the wake of the internet, the need for real in-person communities is stronger than ever. To be fair, I wouldn't expect Scott to say otherwise, but I also find myself agreeing with him. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter. We're at WebmastersPod. I'm on Twitter too, at Aaron Dinan. That's A-A-R-O-N-D-I-N-I-N. Or find me through my website where you'll also find lots of other content about startups, business, and entrepreneurship. It's AaronDinan.com. I'd like to thank Scott Heiferman for joining us on this episode of Webmasters to share his story and the story of Meetup. If you've got any questions, thoughts, or comments for him, or you just want to see what he's up to these days, he's also on Twitter at Heif, that's H-E-I-F. I also want to thank our audio engineer, Ryan Higgs, for helping put together this episode. And I want to thank our sponsor, Latonas, for their support. Remember, if you're interested in buying or selling an internet business, be sure to check out latonas.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Webmasters, I'm pretty sure you're going to really like the next one too. If you want to find out why, be sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you get that episode as soon as it's released. I'll be back then. For now, though, well, it is time for me to sign off. Goodbye. <laughs>